and he says, I called you. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And whatever you go through, I'm there with you. Because he said, look, he says, he talks about us who are elect. He says, those you gave me that where I am, they may be also. That is an incredible part of the election of God. That he chooses us to be with him. That's in John 17 in his prayer. Those you gave me. And that's when we need the presence of God. To know the presence of God. To know the comfort of God when we go through things. That's not a mistake. That's not... That's God's will for what happened today. Don't ever think that it's out of God's hand. Nothing's out of God's hand. You learn as you go on that everything is in his hand. And he, he looks after us and cares for us like a shepherd cares for his sheep. You see, he wants us to look above. And sometimes we get to the point where we can't look up anymore. And that's when we need the, the body of Christ. But he wants us to look up, to see that he has called us to himself. He's chosen us. He says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, we're the elect of God. Not that we're elect, but the elect of God. He has chosen us in him. It says, let's read that in 1, Ephesians 1, 4. According as he chosen us in him. Wow. When? When? As we talked about this yesterday. When did he choose us in him? It wasn't on a whim. He chose us. He chose us, it says, before the foundation of the world. Now that is beyond my comprehension. That my God would choose me, who is nothing really in myself, before the foundation of the world. In 2 Timothy 1.9, he says the same thing. 2 Timothy 1.9. who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. What a secure place. You see, Keep remembering who he's talking to. People in trials and tribulations. What a secure place that he's called us. But not only has he called us, but he's causing us to be changed. This purpose of God. Look, he, in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, Paul is saying, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. There's a process going on there. He sanctifies himself, us to himself. He sanctifies us. There's a process going on. You'll see this again. He talks about him foreknowing us. He talks about the Israelites in Romans 11. He says he, knew, can't, he does not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Doesn't. He never casts. He said, if, every, if everything disappears, I won't. He said, I, he said I, I'm, I'm set to keep Israel, my people. He said, if, if I the heavens and earth will fall apart before I forsake these people. What an amazing faith. 
You see, this is the thing. The foreknowledge of God is not about him knowing everything. Because when we read, there's only four places it talks about foreknowledge. And it's all about, all about people whom he foreknew. It's about when Ad, like Adam foreknew knew Eve. It's a relationship. He knew us. He knew about he knew us. And he called us. It's an amazing thing. In Romans 8, 29. We knew we'd get to Romans eventually. <laughs> Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow. He predestinated us. To be what? Conformed to the image of his son. There's an ongoing process. Even though you're going through tribulation... The process continues. That's an amazing thing. Whatever happens, God has never abandoned his process in your life. There's a process of moving on. He put, and whom he, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The, not mean the firstborn as in the first one who was born, but the preeminent one. The preeminent one. As like in the firstborn of a family. The preeminent one. Wow. That's our Jesus, isn't it? Wow. Whom he did predestinate, he also called. So he predestined, he foreknew us and predestined, and then he called us. He'd already decided in his own mind. He talks about the determined counsel of God and the foreknowledge that he sent Jesus to the cross. He'd already decided it in his mind. He knew his son and he knew what he was had to do. There was something about his foreknowledge. It's not about just knowing the future. And then he says, oh, you saw something in me which he would think he could do something with. No, no, no. That's not choice. That's it. That's works. That's something from us. There wasn't anything in us, as we've seen already. That's why it's so important. Those he foreknew to be conformed to his image. So then we come on to the next little verse. <laughs> this part of the verse. What, that we might be conformed to his image. What's being conformed to his image? It's being sanctified. Being conformed to his image. And we see the same ideas through all these little passages. That's, they're very similar. What, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. Now what is sanctification? Sanctification is being set apart. By God, for God. Something being set apart. It's sanctification through the Spirit. We've already read in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Right, did we read that? Let's read, just check it. We did, didn't we? 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Let's read it again. Holy Ghost. Have from the beginning chosen you to, to salvation... Through sanctification of the Spirit. You see, it's a work of the Spirit who sanctifies us. He comes and separates us off from the world to start with. And then he causes us to be separate off from the world. He causes us to be born again of him. But then he continues to separate us off and sift us. And sanctifies us. That's what he says. It, right, let's go through some verses on sanctification. We get an idea. One Corinthians six eleven. Sorry, it's keep sliding down here. One Corinthians six eleven. We'll see a bit more about sanctification and a little bit later on, but. But you, we were talking about all the pe awful people there were, but, uh, who were revelers and drunkards in verse 10. But some, such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So that's why I keep saying that it's that little verse that our faith may be in God, in what God's done. Our faith and hope might be in God. Because this is all a work of God. It's not our work. There is a sanctification work, but we have, all we have to do is to... Uh, to how do I can explain it? He cooperate 
with the Spirit of God. We can say, oh, I'm already holy. because I'm." But no, holiness has nothing to do with actions. Holiness is to do with being separate. Separate apart. Separated apart. We'll see that a bit in a minute when we get a bit further on. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Jesus has made unto us sanctification. He sets us apart. Isn't that wonderful? In 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 4. 1 Thessalonians 1 to 4. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more, For you know what commandment we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you shall by abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honour. This is this flesh, this thing we live in, the way we live. Sanctification, set apart for God's work. That's what we are, we're set apart for him in honour. Sanctification. Walk to please God. In 2 Timothy 2, 20 to 21. Two Timothy 2, 20 to 21. But in great houses there are vessels of gold and silver and also wood and earth, some to honour and some to, to dishonour. But if a man purge himself from these, shall be a vessel unto honour, sanctified, meet for the master's use, ready for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. You see, this? we are set apart to be his people, but we're set apart for a work as well. We'll see that a bit in a minute when we get on. Hebrews 10. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews 10. Ten. Right, so we have here in verse 10, but of which we, sorry, which will we are sanctified, as the will of God is talking about, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So we are sanctified, set apart for God once and for all. But it's not just that's not just the whole thing of it. For by and often he hath perfected them forever that are sanctified. In that verse, and then we go on, goes on about having a, a, a an entering into the holy way of God. And we go goes on in, in those verses here. He says, This is it's always go. For one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost is witness to this. After that he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them these days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. You see. So he's put the law in our hearts. So we didn't just put the law in our hearts. He said, well I know what's right and wrong. So that we might walk in them. And that's the sanctification. He's walking in the law of his, his law. In our hearts. The law of the spirit of life. Isn't that wonderful? You see, we're sanctified once and for all, but the law here says here that we have the law in our hearts. Who it works its way through our lives and causes us to become more like the image of Jesus. So we are sanctified. We're set apart. We are being sanctified. And when we get to heaven, we'll be completely sanctified because we'll be just like him. When we shall see him, we shall see him. And we shall be like him. Hallelujah. Isn't that a wonderful thing? See, this is, the, this is what keeps us knowing it's a work of God in our lives and we can rely on him. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 we are being changed from glory to glory as in the, by the Spirit of the Lord. So it's all the Spirit of God. Now you have to... Uh, Apply yourself under the Holy Spirit and say, 
you come and change me because I can't. And sometimes I say, Lord, I'm not willing for this. Can you make me willing? <laughs> it comes to the point, it? Sometimes you say, I'm not willing. But it says, to will and to do his good pleasure. He does the will and the doing of his good pleasure. That's a fantastic verse. But I haven't even got the will to do it. You say, I'm, 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 I'm set myself. You, you just change me, Lord. Whatever we feel like. These are deep things. You see, we don't like the next little bit. <laughs> because this is what, this is what, um, what's his name, wasn't, was he? Uh, Adam wasn't, he wasn't obedient. And this is the problem. It says, sanctification of the spirit unto doing what you like. Oh no. Obedience. Yeah, the first obedience, and people we don't preach this, is to obey the gospel. When we talk to people, we tell them, you should obey the gospel. Don't, you're not here to make a choice one way or the other. You need to obey what the gospel says. He says, talks about those who don't obey the gospel quite a few times. In, in, in the... In the he talks in Romans 2, 8 and 10, 16. They didn't obey the gospel. Jesus said, if you're my friends, you'll keep my commands. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> but his commands are that we love one another. And the Holy Ghost comes in and sheds his love in our hearts. So it's all his work. But it's a case of, am I going to be, am I going to dig a well with him and let him do it or not that's a big bit isn't it obedience is a big bit wow that's a big bit here we come to another little interesting part obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ what was the sprinkling for let's read in Hebrews 12 24 To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than of Abel. Abel offered himself and what he could do. Cain offered the no, better things than Abel. Yeah. You see. It's a different offering. It's a different offering, isn't it? It's an offering of a lamb. Different offering, you see. Better things. There's a sprinkling. There's a sprinkling. In Exodus 34, 24, we see where the, where the idea of this sprinkling comes from. 34, 24. Now he's got down the two tables of stone at the beginning of chapter 34 and he goes through lots of bits about telling them what they should and shouldn't do. Don't make covenants with the people. Don't do this. You shall work six days and the seventh you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits. You shall appear three times a year with all your people before me. And I, then he said, if you do this, I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders uh, and, any, and neither shall any man desire thy land when thou shalt go out up to appear before the Lord and thou shalt not offer the blood of sacrifices have I got the right verse here? 34, 34 anyway there was a sprinkling I think I might have got the wrong verse here sorry there's a, there's a time when he sprinkles them he sets them aside and he sprinkles I think I've got the wrong passage there somewhere there is a covenant. I'm sure it's here. Anyway, no, I'm sorry. I got the wrong verse there somewhere. I thought I got the right verse down there. 34, 34. Anyway, there was a sprinkling of it of, of the people. 
And they said, we'll do what God says. So they set them apart as God's people. And that's what the sprinkling does. It sets us apart for God. It's a sprinkling. In, uh, and also in Leviticus 8, we find that all the people, we can't read all that, all the, people, all the uh, things in the temple were sprinkled. Somebody mentioned about it. Sprinkled with the blood, what? For? For service. And this is the one thing. When you're going through a difficult time, you have been sprinkled, separated unto God for the blood of Christ, for service. And what happens is, when, look, if you think about people who have a mental illness or have a breakdown, they go into themselves and they stop doing everything. Don't they? What we need to do, we need to keep going on what God has called us to do. And whatever happens, whatever God has called you to do, whatever's going on, you keep going. Now he's talking to people who are getting murdered and killed. But he says, you just keep going under the service which I've called you to. Because it'll help you. Because you'll stop putting your eyes on what's going on and you'll still carry on focusing what I've called you to do. So it doesn't matter what goes on, you keep serving. You keep serving. You keep doing what I've called you to do. And that brings you joy. Even though inside you might not be feeling anything, you're honouring God. And he keeps you when you do that. Doesn't he? Hallelujah. We're, we're called in Hebrews 9, 11. But Christ being a high priest of good things to come, by a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place. He purged our... He, 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 see, he, he, caught, and he says, For if the blood of goats and ashes of the heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctify them, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, purchase your consciousness from dead works to serve the living God. And that's what the sprinkling is about, is to serve the living God. And it puts us in a place where we just keep going. People who lose, suddenly lose somebody, it's almost like you're in a mist, but you keep going, don't you? If you stop, you know that if you stop, you fall apart. But you just keep going. You keep washing the dishes. You keep making the meals. You keep going to work. You keep doing the things that God has called you to do in life. And you keep going into what he's called you in life to do. And it keeps you. It really does keep you because he keeps us. And the reason is of his, what's the next bit, about his great mercy. His great mercy. You see, it talks of in, in Romans 2, 4, about the love of God leads us to repentance. But that's because, if we've seen right at the beginning, it's because of our complete depravity when we suddenly understand what situation we're in and that God has chosen us, we run with repentance to him because of his love towards us. It's not that he just overlooks things. No, he doesn't overlook anything. But he put his love on us by choosing us, didn't he? This is love, it says in 1 John 4. Let's look at that. This is love. 1 John 4. I was re thinking about this on the way here. I was thinking about this on the way here. The great mercy of God. We must be aware of the great mercy of God on us. 1 John 4.10 Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. For our sins. That's the love of God. 
I was in tears on the way here. I was, like, I was just thinking about this verse. It just, just got me. The love of God, the mercy, the great mercy of God. John 3.16, it says, we, we read it wrong. It says, it talks about, um, about the love of God. It talks about the, the, mat, the serpent, brass serpent in the wilderness. And it's, this is what it really says. It says, in this way, not so, the so is not an amount. The so is in this way. God loved the world. What, in what way? That he sent his son. It's the same idea as uh, in, in 1 John 5. In this way, he loved the world. Amazing. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And what happens then? He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for this abundant mercy which we've been talking about hath begotten us again to a living hope. A living hope, not a dead hope. He's begotten us. He's caused us to be born again. That's really what that word there means. It means to be born again of a living hope. Why? Because we have a living God. <laughs> we have a living God, a living hope, a living God. He causes us, it means to be having regenerated us, begotten us, caused us to be born again. A living hope. It says in Ephesians 2.6, we've been raised up with him. Look, could we, oh, there's so many verses we could. He says, we're, in, in Colossians 2, we're raised with him. It's the operation of God. We were talking about the, the fullness. Of, that's in that part, isn't it? About the fullness of God. Being complete with him. It's the fullness of God in us. And it, it talked to us, it says, co-buried, in literally in the Greek, co-buried, co-raised. I love the way co-raised, co-buried, co-raised. A living hope. We haven't got a dead, because we have a God who resurrected Jesus from the dead, and Paul says because he was raised from the dead, so we could be raised from the dead. What to? To, where are we? Look, to what? An inheritance incorruptible and undefined. Hey? that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now you may have been at Christmas time and looked underneath a tree and see all the boxes with the people's names. They're all reserved for those people. I tell you what, there's something reserved in heaven which is, is nothing. Reserved in heaven for you. Incorruptible. Now you see, this is the wonderful thing. The first Adam, I don't know if I'll get to this bit, well maybe I'll say it now. No, I'll talk about it in a minute, all right? Oh, I'll talk about it in a minute. <laughs> it's just so wonderful. Inheritance incorruptible. How you can believe, and I'm sorry to say this, how you can, maybe some people don't agree with me here, you can believe that you can lose your salvation, I can't see it. Because this is an inheritance incorruptible. We'll talk a bit more about that. And then what else does it say? Who are kept by the power of their confession by the power of their believing, by the power of their faith, no, who are kept or reserved or preserved by the power of God through faith. The power of God through faith. Ready to be revealed in the last time. We all know in the last time what God has done. And that's why we're, every one of us will be on our faces praising him. Because we'll be seeing what he's done for us. This is what we need to see when we go through trials. Sometimes we can't see it. But this is where we are. And he says, then he says, because we have a trial of our faith. In verse 7. For, for now, he says, we're greatly in need of heaviness through manifold temptations. The trial of your faith is more precious than gold. You, though you be tried with fire, you may be found unto praise and honour and glory. Glory! at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He's not looking at his situations, he's saying these situations, because God is in control, they're changing me from glory to glory. His eyes upon God. His faith is on God. His hope is in what God has done. He, it's him 
who chose him. Can you see the picture? It's him who done everything. And that's why he says in verse 13, he says, wherefore, I'm not going to look at all the other bit, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now what does that mean? What did it mean? Well, when people ran, they had long cloaks, they would get them and they stuffed them in their belts. They gird them up so they didn't trip up. Don't get tripped up by your mind. Don't let it hinder you from running with God and walking with God. Gird up the loins of your mind. Don't let your mind stop you. Look what this says. Remember what this says about you. Even though you weren't anything, he chose you. That is the security. That's the security from God's point of view. You see. Hallelujah. And what happens then in verse 17? We move on. Well, when we talk about holy here, as obedient children, we come back again to the being holy. Obedient children. Holy, this is the same word as sanctification. It's the same word. We live our lives. Now, I can't go on because it says, be holy as I am holy. So then again, there's a sanctification going on there. All right. Now, here we are. We pass our time in here with fear. Why? Let's look at Philippians 2, 12 to 13. See, all we're doing is looking at the scripture. I'm not giving you any of my ideas. I'm just looking, telling you what the scripture says. Let it, let it wash over you. Believe it. <laughs> it will do you good. It will do you good. The more you read it, the more it does you good. I'm ashamed how much I know and I want to say, Lord, I want to dig more in this book. I want to read it more and let it speak to me. What does it say in Philippians 2, 12 and 13? Where my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now I could stop there, but Paul doesn't. He says, why? Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will, as I talked about earlier, and to do his good pleasure. Ah, it's God. My faith and hope might be in God, because he's the one who does everything. He's so wonderful. Let's move on. Back to 1 Peter. I'm wearing my Bible out today. For as much, in verse 18, we're up to verse 18, we've only got a few more to go. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain way of life, or conversation way of life, received by tradition from your fathers. So what we receive from the world is always vain and nothing. Don't want that. No. And he was talking about the tradition of keeping, trying to keep the law and doing this, that and the other. But we were what? What were we redeemed with? The blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Let's read a few of these verses about redeemed. Let's, let's see. Revelation 5, verse 9. Revelation 5, 9, it says. And they sung a new song. Thou art worthy, they're talking about the Lamb, to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, tongue, people and nation. To God. He's redeemed us to God. <laughs> Galatians 3.13 Christ, for no man is justified by the law in the sight, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. For Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
We couldn't keep the law. We know that because we're completely depraved. Couldn't do any of it. And every time we did it, we just got a big pile of rubbish in front of us, he says. Filthy rags of trying to please God. You see, there's a phrase I have. If you say, if I do this, God will do that, you're in law. If if I, I say, if God says do this, I'll do it. That's grace. That's a big depth in, I'm sorry. You see, we very have lots of things we think we ought to do. We would plead to try and please God. No. You see, it's his redemption that pleases him. It's his blood. It's his Christ who pleased him. And we're in him. And that's the only way we can please him, by being in him. It's nothing of ourselves. And when we, that's why we read the first bit. The foundation has to be, it's him. So our faith and our hope is in God. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God? And you are not your own. For you have bought with a price. Therefore glory thy God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You've been bought by God. God owns you. (laughs) On the cross he bought you. He owns you. Well if I own something, and I'm I'm a good steward of what I own, I look after it. If I own a car and I'm a good steward, I'll polish it, I'll clean it, I'll put the oil in it, I'll have a service. God loves us. He owns us. We're his servants. He owns us. Now we have. Now we, we'd be awful if he owned us and he was an awful person, wouldn't it? But it's good that the God we serve is a benign and wonderful God to us. His loving kindness to us is beyond measure. And his purposes for us are good. Whatever happens. Well, isn't that wonderful to be owned by God? Purchased by God. A wonderful, precious thing. Wonderful, precious thing. In Colossians 1, 14. I love Colossians. Well, I love it all, really. 1, 14. How do you, how do you, how do you separate? Right. Right. We'll start in 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Hallelujah. There's no sin. He's redeemed us. He paid the price for my sin. I had a little illustration of this. When, my, when I got my computer, I was stupid and I let somebody get into my computer. And when they found out they couldn't get any money out of it, they started wiping stuff off. Uh, and that was my business computer work. I one used to work, so I lost all my photos, I lost all my contacts and all things. And so we got somebody in and he, he said, well, we'll see what we can do. And he said, yep, we've got really good. I've got all the lists of the photographs of how much there is in each one. I've got all the lists of the accounts of the different people, you know, if this person's invoices and that. And it says all the numbers of how much there was in each one and all that stuff. And he said, yeah, we've got all the lists. It looks like we're doing all right. He opened one up and it just said load of noughts. Now my son said, well, that's because of the type of, of, of disc you've got. He said, when they do that, he just writes noughts in it. And the Lord said to me, just like you. He said, you might be able to see and have a list of what you've done and all the stuff that goes on in your life. And when, he op- when you open them, you open the book, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. It's just a mass of noughts. You might see it all and you might think it's all there. And when he opens the book, there's nothing there. 
He's wiped it clean. He's wiped it clean with his blood. Isn't that incredible? You see, I have not, from the fir- apart from the first sort of half an hour or so when I was quite upset, I've been at a complete peace. I'm, I haven't been at all worried about it. It just hasn't touched me. It's just amazing, isn't it? How God uses these things in our lives and shows us something out of something which is so out of our own stupidity. He gives us that and you think, wow, what a wonderful thing. By the precious blood of the Lamb. Right, perfect Lamb. Now here we have something interesting. He says, he was without blemish and without spot. Now when, the first, when Jesus was born, he was laid, I believe, in the tower of, the, in the tower of Migdal Eda, which is the tower of the flock. This was at Bethlehem, and at, around Bethlehem, in between, and between Jerusalem and Bethlehem as well, they kept all the flocks and the herds which were ready for sacrifice. And the shepherds who were on the fields were looking after the flocks which were for the sacrifice. And when Jesus was born, he was in the town, because it talks about, in, in Micah, about the king coming to Migdalida. Your sovereign had come to Migdalida. And Jesus, so the, he wasn't born in a stable with lots of goats and things. He was born in like a hospital wing for a lambs. And it was in the tower of Migdalida. And they laid, the, they, what they did, according to Alfred Eilersham, it's in that book, he, they wrapped the lambs up in swaddling bands and laid them in stone mangers so they wouldn't damage themselves because they were so careful to make sure that the lambs were perfect and without blemish. So when Jesus was born, he was perfect and without blemish. Just like a baby is. You look at a baby, he doesn't have loads of spots. Lovely. But what happens as we get older? Spots appear. You see, it says in Jude, there were spots on their feast. These people who came along to the love feast. There were spots. He talks about them later. Their garments spotted by the flesh. So when Jesus was without blemish and without spot, he's talking about his birth and his life. He was without spot. He wasn't spotted by the flesh one bit. He lived the perfect life to be the perfect lamb. Do you remember when the ram was caught in the thicket with Abraham. Why? How was it caught in a thicket? Was it caught by its tail? By its legs? By its fur? No. It was caught by its horns. Why? So it wasn't damaged. So it was still perfect. It's a perfect lamb, wasn't it? Didn't get damaged by the thicket because it was caught just on its thought by its things. They wouldn't get damaged. So he was a, that was a picture of the perfect lamb of God, who Jesus was. What a fantastic one we have. He's without speck and blemish, unspotted from the world, a perfect lamb, foreordained. Let's read that. It says, we go on back into our little verses. who was foreordained before the foundation of the world. He talks about that in Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God hath set forth to be a propitiation through, his, through faith in his blood, that we might have remission of sins. Wow. He was foreordained, it says. Set forth, that verb set forth is foreordained. Another interpretation. It was set forth. It was, he was already decided, he was foreordained by God to be a propitiation for our sins. Hallelujah. 
And then we go on to verse 21. Who by him do believe. Now we think we believed. But he says by him we believed or through him we believed in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. He says from him, through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory. Not me believing on him, but him making me believe through him and causing it to happen through him so that our faith is on him, not on what we are. It's really, really important. It says um, in Romans 6.23, this is really lovely, 6.23, he says this, For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's through him. It's through what he did on the cross. It's nothing to do with you and me. It's him. He just causes us to accept it. He causes us to accept it. He causes us to believe it. It's a fantastic thing. For, for by grace you are saved through faith. The grace and faith is not of yourselves, but it's a gift of God. Isn't it wonderful? Right? What has he called us? That we might love one another with a pure heart. Now this is one of the things that needs to happen when people are going through tribulations. That we need, by the love of God, to love one another. This is one of his commandments. This is my commandment, that you love one another. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another, just as I have loved you. Oh, it's gracious me. What a commandment. But it says in Romans 5 that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So we see again, it's his work. Though we have to do it and we have to grit our teeth sometimes and say, well, I ought to think he ought to, he ought to be this or that, things that you feel like from a brick through the window at them or something. But the love of God constrains you and says, no, you have to love them. And he comes alongside you, like the Holy Spirit comes along, he's a paraclete, a one who comes alongside us, because he's talking about the Holy Spirit at that time as well, comes alongside us and causes us to do the things he wants us to do. He comes to be our helper. Yeah, he comes to be our helper. Just like when they looked to Jesus for everything, didn't they? Everything they wanted, they looked to Jesus for it. He was their helper when, like, you know, like Lazarus, they called Jesus. But we have Jesus in us. We have the helper in us. And we can call him at any time. And that's why it's so important to know that. Whenever you go through, there's a comforter. He said, I'll give you another comforter who's just like me, exactly the same as me. He's not any different than me because he's the same as me, because he's the Holy Spirit. And he proceeds from the same place. From heaven and lives in us. What a wonderful security. Security in God. Now why is this? And this is an interesting bit. This is a bit I see. We have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. This is wonderful. You see, you were talking about the first Adam and the second Adam. There was a complete difference. We are not returned to the same condition as the first Adam. Something completely different. The first Adam was subject to change. The whole of this world which God created in, this, in the six days is subject to change. I can't explain it, but it is, isn't it? The angels who are all created by God, everything that was created by God, we, up to now what we've known, has been subject to change. They've been able to rebel against God. There's a sick, you know, the third of the angels went off with the devil. Adam fell and the whole creation has, cha has been changed beyond what it was in the first place. That's what the first creation... But when it says... A new man, you are a new creation. It just means, doesn't mean, it means something completely different. 
not just new, new in a completely different way, a completely different creature. Because it's born from heaven. It's the stamp of the living God on it. It says, let's, let's read. Let's read what it says. Ah. <laughs> in John 3. This is why. This is why. It's so different. Poor old uh, Nicodemus. He was having, he was, he, he couldn't cope with this. <laughs> he couldn't cope with it, poor old Nicodemus. He said, except a man be born again or born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He said, verse 5, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now the big spirit, the first spirit is a big one, big capital, it means the spirit of God. It's a spirit. We're not the same as spirit but we're born of the same spirit. It's the spirit of God. It's a different birth. Something so different. It's not anything like the first Adam. Not at all. Is it? What does he say in that? He says, um, we're born not of the will of man, not the will of, but the will of God. We're born of the will of God. We're born of God. It's something that God does. He talks about us in John 6, about having everlasting life. John 6. 40. We'll look at that, shall we? We're not far from that. John 6, 40. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son. Now, who sees the Son? Those who are born from above, because you can't see. Believe on him, that he may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Wow. 44. No man hath come to me, except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Wow. Is it wonderful, isn't it? What he's done. I am the bread. Right, then it's, it's, it's so wonderful that when what he has done, he gives us everlasting life. He gives us, but everlasting life is a life that goes on forever. He says, Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, hath eternal life. There's a difference. Everlasting goes on forever, but eternal is a God life. It's not just <coughs> going on forever and ever and ever, because everybody's going to go on forever and ever. But they have eternal death. But we have eternal life, but we have as everlasting, and we have eternal life, which is different. A life of quality of God, the life of God, because God's eternal. It's one of the attributes of God. He's always been, he is, and he always will be. I am that I am. It's always been and always will be and never changes. What a wonderful thing. We have an eternal life. Eternal life. We are a new man. 1 John 5.18. Let's have a look at that. Got these, I've got so many little verses down here. Five eighteen. Look. This. We know that whatsoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten or is born again of God keepeth himself. The wicked one doesn't touch him. 1 John 3, 9. Whatsoever is born of God does not commit sin. And his sin remaineth in, his sin remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. Now they try and change it because they can't understand it to, oh, he doesn't continue sinning. But I've looked in my Greek and it says he can't sin. It's a new man. Because he's born of God, can't sin. It's incorruptible. It's incorruptible. If it sins, it's corrupted. We're born of incorruptibleness. That's what keeps us. When we go through things, that's what keeps us. It's not to do with us. It's to do with him. That our hope and faith might be in God. Then what are we born of? By the word of God which liveth and abides forever. This is the, no, here we go. Here is the, no, you would have thought 
that if he was trying to comfort people who were going through trials, he would have mentioned the Psalms or, or some other parts of Scripture. But what has he mentioned? He mentions about the Word of God. Notice he mentions, he raised Isaiah 40. We should, abide, we should live to and abide forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower therefore fadeth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now we separate that verse off from what it's talking about. You're born by an eternal word of God, which fades not away. When he spoke first about the first creation, well, what's going to happen to it? He said he's going to roll it up like a scroll. It's all going to fade away. But what you have, and we have, all of us, because he's, he's to all these people all in this world, these people he's writing to or going through such terrible trouble, he says, you have something which is incorruptible. It's never going to change. Not only do we have an inheritance that's incorruptible, reserved in heaven for us, which no one can take away from us, we have a, an in, oh, We're born of an incorruptible seed by the word of God, because the word of God is forever. Now, that is such a security. Whenever we go through, we're born by an incorruptible seed, by the word of God. And it says in Malachi 3, 6, 1, I'm the Lord, I change not. God does not change. Why? Because he's already perfect. He doesn't need to change. He's already glorious and perfect. And if he changed, then he wouldn't be God. This is, what, this is why our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Isn't it wonderful? This is what it's about, having our hope on him. That he's called us, however awful we are. So when we look at that, he says, but he says, look, in Romans he said, when we sin, he said, where sin abounds, my grace abounds even more. So we don't look at our old life and when we're faced up with it, it's all the same. It's, we've been, have been born of an incorruptible seed. Just think about that. Isn't that keep you for eternity? Incorruptible. See, what God, you can't corrupt God. He isn't tempted by anybody. He doesn't tempt. He doesn't change. What's inside me can never be changed, can never be undone, can never be undone. I'm born again of an incorruptible seed. When you really understand what being born again is, it keeps you for whatever happens because you know you're his and you've called, he's called you and he's set his love upon you. And he's caused you to be born of himself. And we certainly are sons and daughters of the living God, who he's called. Isn't that wonderful? We have an anchor. We're going to sing, we have an anchor that keeps the soul. Steadfast and sure. You see? What is it about that anchor? Look, it's in Hebrews 6, and I want you to show you two things about it. I, it took me a little while to see this. I just sort of, and I've always looked, and I suddenly began to, I only saw it today. I've been struggling with this a little while, and I thought, what are they? He talks about two immutable things. What are the two immutable things? The two immutable things is that God swore by himself, and that God can't lie. It took me a little while to find that by looking in, because it's the way it's written. God swore by himself, and God cannot lie. And it says, by these two immutable things, it says, it's impossible to guide that we may have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor to our soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into the veil, within the veil, 
The forerunner has been Jesus who ran before us. Wow. Looking unto Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going to sing that song. We we have an anchor that keeps the soul. Thank you, Jesus, that when we go home and things overwhelm us, we go to the rock that's higher than I, that he has saved us and caused us to be born of an incorruptible seed. He's taken us who were rubbish and made us kings and priests to himself. That he has done something so wonderful in us that it's beyond our comprehension. And the more we look at it, the more wonderful we find it and the more completely amazed we are of your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus.